Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Laser Focus. This, of course, is the Deep Dive podcast from Nerdist, pop culturally speaking. I'll get it right one of these days. Uh, I'm Kyle Anderson, your intrepid host. I don't even know how intrepid I am. I'm definitely your host. That we cannot argue. Um, Thank you very much for tuning in once again. I hope you enjoyed our X-Men discussion last week with Eric. Um, It was a lot of fun. Um, And I think that's kind of what we're going to be doing this summer is uh, given the the strikes. uh, We're not going to talk too much about new things um, because we... want to show our support for writers and um, actors as much as possible. Um, But we do, it's still pop culture. So we're going to talk about older stuff, even though that is, if we were in SAG, that would be a strike worthy or a scab worthy thing, but we're not doing that. So anyway, all of that is to say, um, we hope you like nostalgia because that's that's what we're working with for the remainder of the summer. Hopefully the strikes will end soon and uh, everyone will get paid fairly. This week, I'm very excited to be rejoined by uh, Nerdist's editor-in-chief, a longtime colleague and friend of mine, Amy Radcliffe. Welcome back, Amy. Hey, thanks for having me again. I'm glad I uh, was not banned permanently. Yeah, after. you know what? It, it was <laughs> it was 49.51, so I'm really... Okay. He just got it. <laughs> I made um, it. But this week, this week we're going to talk about... Um, this is something that like when we first were talking about doing the podcast, this was something you really wanted to come on and talk about because part of the things that... Um, I wanted for this podcast was for um, us nerds to kind of nerd out about things that we love that are not just immediately, you know, uh, in the zeitgeist. Um, another thing is like we all have our comfort things, uh, movies, TV, books. And so I want to celebrate things that make us happy just on the, that level. So to that end, we are going to be talking about uh, the 2004 movie starring Nicolas Cage, National Treasure. Um, which I confess I had not seen. I will say I had not seen it all the way through. As I was watching it last night, I was like, oh, I've seen a good amount of this movie. <laughs> oh, had you? Okay. I'd seen like the second half, maybe. It was like on USA Network or something back in the day. That sounds um, right. One of those Saturday afternoon movies that was just on. But um, uh, before we get into that, but I am, I, you know, we'll get into why you like it so much and all that stuff. Um, but first, of course, we have to do the Nerdy Nine. If we don't, then what was the point of me doing it in the first place? So last time you were on, you picked uh, number four. And so don't pick number four, <laughs> but pick a number between one and nine. You know what? Let's do nine. All right. Number nine. And as, as a reminder, it's, it's favorite blanks. So number nine is favorite mistake. The Cheryl Crow song. Do you like it? I have to. I can't recall it in my head. It's one of those like I know I've heard it because I know I like most of Cheryl Crow's, but I can't think of what it is. I don't know if we can sing it because of copyright. Copyright. I'm I'm actually uh, I'm looking up the lyrics right now to help remind me. (laughs) Sorry, like this is not how I thought. It is that song. Okay. It's that song. song. I think it's fine. I think I probably really was a big fan when it came out. Um, But I haven't listened to Sheryl Crow in a while. So, yeah, I think it's my my with distance. I'm like, I think it's fine. Okay. And that was number nine. (laughs) Uh, Is it that I couldn't think of a ninth thing? Yeah, that might be it. But that'll be number nine. (laughs) 
It's do you like that Cheryl Crow song? Favorite mistake. Um, cool. <laughs> so let's get into. <laughs> is that I'm bit funny? You a, right in. I'm glad I gave you a. It probably been funnier if I, but if I was more aware of it. Um, yeah, or had I, remembered it immediately. So apologies for my riveting response. No, I mean, that, <laughs> what could I have expected? <laughs> that's you might what, have that's... been, I'd been like, Kyle, I am the biggest Cheryl Crow fan. I listen to that Wouldn't song that every day. Something? Well, maybe someone but will be. Maybe someone will be. Um, yes. So uh, if you have feedback about whether you thought that joke was funny, uh, please send it to laserfocus at nerdist.com. And I will read it and go, you're right. It's not. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so National Treasure. Um, I, was, I wouldn't say I'm surprised to, uh, when I heard that you were such a big fan of this. But um, given because I know some of you know, you're, you're a big like adventure movie fan. Um, I think we talked about actually you let me borrow Master and Commander and then you moved away and I had to mail it to you, <laughs> mail it back to you. That um, is true. So I Thank know that you. you like that kind of, I mean, they're very different, like, tones, I guess, but, like, um, big, raucous kind of adventure movies. Um, I know that that is something you like. But what it was what was the, uh, the impetus for you choosing National Treasure? So it's been a comfort movie, especially in the last few years. Um, I think it is the combination of an adventure, which I really like. It has a little bit of that Indiana Jones flair. It has mm. a heist. There, so there's those elements of an adventure, but also it's just ridiculously campy. Yeah. And like always, <laughs> like Nicolas Cage, like he knows what movie he's in always. Mm-hmm. And that's what he embraces. And he is just so like earnest in this film as ever and the way he just delivers some lines yeah i'm like you are such a gift they make me laugh every time and when i tell you there was a good stretch in 2020 where i'd watch it like once a week much to my husband's chagrin um (laughs) to the point where he was like i'm gonna go to bed so you can put that on and i'm like yes (laughs) um so it just it has all these elements that make me feel cozy and they make me feel entertained like I like sinking into there, you know, are several films like that for me where I know everything that's going to happen and when it's going to happen and never get tired of it. And that's nice, too. But, yeah, a big a big selling point for National Treasure is Nicolas Cage being the most Nicolas Cage. Yeah, he's very much it put me in the mind of like there was a period of time when he was leading man Nicolas Cage. Now he's definitely much more, I mean, he's not that he's not the lead in movies, but he's much more like charactery Nicolas Cage where like, yes. does, I mean, he played crazy Dracula and he was, you know, he's more, he's, he's turning into his eccentricities or people are casting him for the eccentricities a lot more. Um, but Nick, uh, national treasure was definitely a period of time when he was, he's still weird, but he's your leading man weird. Um, yes. And so I really, I liked that a lot. I I was holding back for whatever reason. I really enjoyed watching this movie. Yay! Um, it, this was, was a lot of fun. I was going to be like, like it sucked, Amy. Why did you no. make me watch it? <laughs> Let's yeah. So it's a big debate about why it's not good. No. Um, for all the reasons you said, like it's just fun. It's it is hyper campy. But I am a huge sucker for um uh following clues to other clues. Like, and that is a, that is basically the entire movie. And yes. like ar- artifacts and stuff and like, yeah, the Indiana Jones aspect of it. But I thought it was like quite clever that it was what if it's in, you know, all of these 
finding buried treasure stuff is always in other, you know, ancient countries. What if it's in the United States and it's literally they go from um, Washington, D.C. to sh- Yeah. Oh, don't forget the Charlotte. Oh, yeah. The Charlotte, of course. You start at the Charlotte, which is a yes. ship. Um, but then Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, New York, and then. It ends in New York, but like it could have gone to Boston if that if that like fake out was true. But it's like all of these very important cities to the the revolution. Um, and I, I just like that that aspect of it where, you know, it's people. The the hero is the smartest instead. And it's it's very Doctor Who, which is, as you know, I'm a huge Doctor Who fan. Um, and it's like it's outsmarting the bad guys not outpowering them um which is something that i really enjoy and also i mean being this is a pg movie the only person who dies in the movie is the guy who falls down the shaft the the you know the mine at the end oh yeah yeah it's very i mean it's yeah it's not a violent film and by any means even though you have you know talking about the villains and camp like sean bean plays the main villain and he's just you know a wealthy wealthy tricksy guy yeah like, wealthy former criminal <laughs> yes basically and he kind of chews that up too and oh yeah from the beginning like you know when they're on the charlotte like it kind of you're like is this going to be like a violent film because he of course like i had the next clue and now i don't need you anymore and right gates are riley and i will leave you to die but it all works out okay riley's so fun too riley is fun a very young justin bartha pre-hangover um, oh, I've never seen the Hangover. I know he's been in other things, but yeah, he sort of gets the well, at least in the first one. I haven't seen the other two because there are three it, of them. There were three Hangover movies. Or um, he's the one who is uh, he's the groom who gets like kidnapped and they have to go save him. So he's not in it as much as Bradley Cooper and Zach Galifianakis and Ed Helms. The, the, those who have had the, the titular Hangover. Yes. Um, but yeah, he's really funny in that, in, in the role of, I mean, he's your tech guy who doesn't quite understand, um, any of the history stuff, but like, there was the one bit where he's like, I get to be the smart one here, which I know. And he was like, is this what it always feels like to be you? It's, it's really <laughs> delightful. He makes a lot of snarky, like to your point earlier, when you're talking about it's a clue going to a clue. And he's like, at one point, you know, what if it's never just, you pick up a map and there's an X and you go there. It's like. Yeah. He's just very funny. He gives Yeah. Here's the treasure spend wisely. That was my yes. favorite line of his. And yes. <laughs> look, I don't love National Treasure 2 as much. I still really enjoy it, but he and he is very continues being a delightful mm. snarky human making poor choices in yeah. National Treasure 2. Well, I remember when the movie came out um and the so this was oh gosh. Uh when did um Pirates of the Caribbean come out? Is that oh? It, th- I I feel like we just hit a milestone like a couple years ago. Yeah. So, so maybe yeah. circa two thousand one ish. I think that's probably right. I remember I took my little brother to it when I was still in Colorado. So definitely pre two thousand eight. No, <laughs> it's not like I didn't realize. <laughs> Pirates of the Carib. Uh, two thousand three. Okay, so yeah, the year before. Okay. National Treasure, but like this was a period of time when. Due to the success of that movie, Disney was like, let's put a lot of money into big adventure movies that the whole family can go see, Um, which was, you know, kind of their bread and butter back in 
the fifties and sixties, they, they made live action stuff all the time. A lot of those haven't stood the test of time, but like, have you ever seen, um, 20,000 leagues under the sea? Yes. Uh, actually this is not just a, t- I got to see it for the first time on the big screen at El Capitan in Hollywood, like a oh, handful fun. of years ago, there was like an event and it was, I was like, this is a cool way to experience that for the yeah, first time. Yeah, that's great. That was one that was like I'd always really wanted to see, but t- I think until Disney Plus, honestly, like I had never gotten to see it because it was just kind of out of circulation. It was in the vault. Um, oh, that yeah, <laughs> the that clever, forsaken vault. Annoying marketing tactic of theirs <laughs> creates scarcity. Um, but now I own it on Blu-ray because physical media forever. Um, yes. But there was there was a time when that was like their big thing was like and they did a Treasure Island. They did Swiss Family Robinson, like these big kind of adventure things. Um, and so because of Pirates of the Caribbean's massive success, um, which at that first one, I still like stand by, I think is a really good movie. I think so, too. It's like a, a really in, in joyful is almost what I said, but oh, I'm yeah, gonna I like it. That. An, enjoy, an enjoyful adventure mm-hmm. with a um, well, the score. So good. Yeah, that is one of the best like modern adventure scores. I I truly thought it was excellent. Um, but anyway, because of that, they were like, let's do more of these adventure movies. And I think like National Treasure is such a strange because it kind of like delves into like the plot of it kind of delves into conspiracy theory and stuff like stuff that I was kind of like, wait, this is about the Freemasons and like <laughs> like the uh, you know like I kind of uh, Da Vinci Code type stuff, but in America, like it was it was That's I was very I was just surprised by it yeah because i was like uh, surely like we were in that era but i looked it up and i'm like da vinci code didn't come out till 2006 but i don't remember when the book came out but it kind of it does very much have that vibe Mm -hmm. clues riddles right robert langdon etc a symbologist which is not a thing uh i'm like is it maybe Probably in some fields. I'm sure. I'm sure somebody is good at that stuff, but I don't know if that can be an entire like job. A career. This you man have, is a symbologist. This is all he, he he finds things all the time using his <laughs> symbology skills. Um, this is at the end of that, but related to Disney doing adventure films, but in a way that feels more Disney and connected to Nicolas Cage. 2010's The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Hmm has uh, Nick Cage as kind of a grumpy sorcerer and Jay Baruchel as the apprentice. And talk about another movie. Is it a great movie? Absolutely not. But it is enjoyable and kind of, (laughs) I think, comes at the end of that era of that era of Disney live action, which compared to this era era of Disney live action, which is just adaptations of their animated films. Yeah, and and CG just nonstop. That was it. Like it was very refreshing, which is a very silly thing to say, but but like, oh yeah, there's like they they went to real locations and like they're doing actual stunts and like there wasn't any, uh, like they built the big mine shaft set at the end and and all that and I was just like this feels it feels real because it is real. It is real. I have a very important national treasure question for you. Okay. So of course you know he steals the declaration of independence which what a fun heist scene yeah. that was by the way like re- like pretty straightforward too for stealing a document of such significance but i don't mind it and 
by the time they get it to his dad's house, played by John Voight, they need to look at the back and they need to use lemon juice, right? So it's like uncover the secret ink. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm forgetting his dad's name for some reason, but he has a bowl of lemons in his fridge. One, why are the lemons in your fridge? But two, why do you, why does he have so many lemons? <laughs> why do you have pre-cut lemons? <laughs> you just have those ready to go in case of secret ink emergencies that's seen always every time i'm like man it's just a, I've, i don't think i've ever had that many lemons on hand that is a really time. good point something that i didn't i don't think i noticed i mean i noticed the lemon bowl but i just i didn't think about it more than once but and most abs- reasonable people probably don't yeah and maybe he has a lemon tree yeah it's possible i don't know why that never occurred to me um, All the things in that movie, I'm like disbelief, suspension of disbelief, <laughs> but I just need to know yeah. about the lemons. Why Why would this older man who leaves pizza out, why would he have also that lemons? I mean, he's an older guy. It's a really nice house, I have to say. Um, I actually really like the idea that... Um, so the the conceit is the the Gates family for generations have been like searching for this treasure and and you know basically uh, as freemasons uh, like they have to defend the realm and all this silly stuff uh because they're descended of the knights templar and all that which is nonsense but i like it Uh, you know um but it's uh ben gates which is nicholas cage's character his grandpa played by christopher Plummer, in a great opening cameo he basically gets to be the narrator of the prologue when he knights him oh yeah (laughs) it's so good um but he's the one who's a true believer and he's passing it on to ben but ben's dad um patrick played by patrick patrick henry gates it's benjamin franklin gates patrick henry gates and i can't remember what grandpa's name is um it's another gates uh john adams gates i'll say definitely not something ridiculous but yes good (laughs) um dad uh patrick is not into it he's just like this is nothing get a job like he's just like this is we're we're wasting our lives yeah and i he you're like oh he's just a he's just a grump i like though that his argument is i what if there's no treasure and the founding fathers were just trying to confound the british for forever and so there's just clues after clues after clues leading to nothing and i thought that was like oh that's actually really smart because that is something that they might have done you know because it's kind of like um espionage warfare type stuff but in the 1700s like i, I yeah, kind of dug that them. aspect of it yeah and i really liked you know tied to that the aspect of you know we hear his dad like go you know at the beginning it's just like what are you doing like don't fill this kid's like head with ideas we don't need another gates following these silly clues and then by the time we get to you know when <laughs> when Ben and Riley are trying to warn various national organizations that somebody wants to seal, like they have to like use a different name because the Gates name is like associated with these conspiracy theories and with this treasure and has no more respect. Mm-hmm. So you learn that the dad's fears like are valid and have like followed Ben Gates in his career because they're like, Oh, you're, you're one of those another mm-hmm. Gates. Like, let me, th- let me guess. You think there's a treasure. So I liked how that thread came through. Yeah. 
I did too. And I, I also like that you get little glimmers when they go and see um, Patrick and he's just like, get out of here. Like, I don't leave. Not, but not then like again, <laughs> once he, once they start kind of messing with the document and stuff, he kind of goes, he like sticks his head out. He's like, we got to use heat. And then they're like, okay, well, and he's just like, he kind of wants to help. Yes. He does think it's fun. Um, but he, you know, he's more of a realist and stuff, but I thought that their <laughs> kind of arc, um, t- toward the end. And especially because once you find out spoilers that there is a treasure, but I even like the, the scene before they actually find the treasure where they find the treasure room and it's empty. And, and Patrick's like, you were right. Like whether the treasure's here or not, you were right. There was a treasure and you know. And I, I, I liked that. I mean, I would have been happy. It would have been narratively satisfying if there was no treasure. I mean, like for all those reasons. But um, obviously, they were going to show you the treasure. <laughs> Cause that's I did. I think the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, no, maybe that's just <laughs> maybe that's just the end. But yeah. it is like then a good like almost Indiana Jones warehouse style reveal of this massive treasure room. Yeah, that's I, I did want to ask you about that. Like. Is the end bit in the mineshaft under the church through th- that part, you know, going through the crypts and all that stuff, is that to Indiana Jones? Like, do, is that kind of, does that stretch credibility even for this movie? You're not wrong because there's certainly elements like, oh, we have torches, there are cobwebs. Yeah. But if a treasure is going to be hidden somewhere in New York, underground feels right Under- mm-hmm. i did it didn't bother me like i don't think okay. you're wrong but i was entirely okay with it <laughs> feeling that way like <laughs> it felt more indiana jones than the last two indiana jones movies Ooh, in my opinion that is true i but, i thought about that the whole time i was just like this was they were trying to do an indiana jones movie and then uh, like five years later they were like let's just do a real indiana jones movie um <laughs> and by real i mean <laughs> let's attempt to do let's attempt it anyway. yeah yeah um and nicholas cage is such an interesting choice to be like the new quote-unquote indiana jones like like i was saying earlier like this was when they were trying to put him in as the lead in all sorts of movies but like he worked i obviously works here because he's kind of ex- eccentric and stuff but like i've never actually thought nicholas cage was cool like, except, well, even in Wild at Heart, when he's, like, supposed to be cool, like, he's also a nutcase in that movie. Um, he's cool in Con Air. Another ridiculous movie I really enjoy. Put <laughs> he's the bunny not cool. back in the box. <laughs> he is the most, like, dork of a human, actually, in that movie. But you're right. Like, when I think, who's going to lead an adventure film and be amazing? Nicolas Cage would not have been on my list. Mm-mm. But yeah. to your point. Well, it's kind of like Tom Hanks in Da Vinci Code, right? That's like not. Yeah. But I think the scholarly aspect, like you said, kind of that's what makes it work is he's not trying to be like, I have my whip and I am jumping over chasms and doing dashing things. It's like. I know things yeah. and I can find answers and that kind of bridges that I don't really believe you would like lead an adventure like this, but you're selling it. <laughs> And I do, but I would believe Nicolas Cage is a weird conspiracy theorist. So that, that was a good casting choice in that respect. Spot on. Do you think, speaking of the Da Vinci Code, that uh, famously Tom Hanks has terrible hair in that movie and, and also in Angels and Demons. 
do you think they were like, we need to give Tom Hanks Nicolas Cage hair? Oh, you know what? I wonder if you're, because it is like that, but it works on Nicolas Cage. Yeah, because that's his hair. That's his real that's hair. His hair. <laughs> that's how it goes. But yeah, Tom, that was a spectacularly bad wig for, or styling for Tom Hanks. Yeah. But that's possible. Weird, like swoopy hair. In the wake of that film. And it was, like we said, very successful at the time. Oh, yeah, it was super I, super. Cr- not critically, I don't think, but... Um, but that would make sense, actually. I'm glad that would give me a headcanon reason for that hair to be acceptable. So I like that. <laughs> well, it's something I didn't even think about until we just now when we were talking, but I was just like, Nicholas Cage's hair is swoopy in that movie, but that's his hair. So it like completely makes sense. Whereas Tom Thanks. Hanks's hair has never been that way. It was one thing you would ever say about Tom Hanks is not he has luscious hair. no. You're absolutely right. Even in, like, I'm like, what is the Tom Hanks? Like, I know him most from his rom-com era, right? Or, like, that's what I will revisit the most. And that that's just, his hair is there. Yeah, his hair's, <laughs> his hair's there. It's <laughs> like, it's not like, you know, in, in Sleepless in Seattle, it's kind of like curlier and kind of um, poofy, because that was the style at the time. But then you get to, like, you've got mail, and it's nice and combed and everything like, like that. Tidy. But it's not... It's not big. No. He's never had big hair. It's not a, not that. a trademark. For <laughs> Until he plays Robert Langdon. What, this then... is obviously a, cha- a tangent. But I remember sitting in the theater. I had not read The Da Vinci Code. I remember sitting in the theater watching The Da Vinci Code with my buddy. And there's a part where he and Audrey Tattoo get uh, like are getting away from the bad guys. And they get in an armored car. And the bad guys are like firing machine guns at them. And I leaned over and I was like, it's an armored car. Like, like, what do they think? What? Do, yeah. What do you? Once they shut the door of the armored car, they should go. Ah, oh, crap. Why are we f- yes. shooting at an Why armored car? Why are we continuing car? to do it? It's a valid point. Uh, your mention of Audrey, like we're first, we're on a first name basis. Um, <laughs> you and Audrey yeah. wants to talk about Diane Kruger as Doctor Abigail Chase because that's mm. another. Uh, first of all, I like that there is like a flirty aspect, and like, of course, like I'm always into that. If, anyone who's listened to me talk for more than five minutes know that i'm like yes make make everyone smooch who wants to basically yeah but i like that she kind of got sucked into it too that she went Mm. from like i can't believe you stole this thing it is my job like i'm going to protect it and like fine if you're going to continue with this i'm going to be part of this adventure and then becomes a very crucial like ally along the way and i don't know diane kruger like I think, you know, she's been in, she's one of those uh, performers, like she's been in so many things um, since then and not things that I've necessarily seen, but her face is really familiar Mm. to me. 2004 was a particularly like fruitful year for her um, because she was not only in National Treasure, but she was also in this movie Wicker Park, which was not good, but like she was one of the leads in it. But then she played Helen of Troy in Troy. That's what I'm thinking of. Literally the face that launched a thousand ships. That would, that's, that is quite the banner year for her. My goodness. And then, of course, I mean, she was in a bunch of stuff, but, and in the second National Treasure movie, but like she was in Inglorious Bastards. That's like the first thing that I really remember seeing her in um, was, you know, because she has a big part in Inglorious Bastards. Um, And then, yeah, she's just been in a bunch of stuff ever since then. But 
Uh, yeah, she's an actor. I really like her. I like the fact that they weren't, they didn't try to pretend she doesn't have a German accent. <laughs> they were just like, let's address it right away and then move on. Um, yes, that's a good point. And it, cause it's not like crazy pronounced, but like it's there for sure. But, um, I liked that. And yeah, I think she's really good. Like to your point, like she gets sucked into the, she thinks this is nonsense and she's like, just give me back the Declaration of Independence so that I can go put it back. Um, and um, but then she gets kind of like once she sees that there is, in fact, something on the back of the the, the declaration in invisible ink. It's like, how do you not get kind of like, oh, fun. Like, I need to know. Yeah. Um, and I like that they put her with um, with Riley a lot. Like Ben goes running off in one direction and Riley and. um abigail go off in another direction i like that because like i don't know i just always like people teaming up who don't normally team up that's actually something in all fiction anytime some two characters who do not spend that much time together have to do a whole lot i'm like i don't know yes. it gives me weird like asmr a little bit i'm here for it well and it's especially when it's you know the unlikely like like you said because riley and abigail like those personalities in any other situation like, I don't think they would spend time together, but they kind of end up being this, like, she's so practical mm. and he's a little hapless, but also, like, just, like, what are we doing? Like, I, I feel like Riley's continually, like, well, I got into this and it's just what I'm doing <laughs> with my life now and I'll make the best of it. Yeah. I... It's an interesting because like he came, he volunteered, he says multiple times and he's there right at the beginning of the thing on their first expedition with Ian Hal played by Sean Bean. Um, Ian, yes. Um, but he doesn't know what, to, like, is it just for getting money? Like, is that the only reason he's there? But like, he clearly seems to enjoy it. He's very loyal to Ben. Like it's, I, that relationship is um not really explored to its fullest but like i like that they have such a shorthand with each other and like um it, it's never like ian's never like riley come with me and we'll leave ben ever it's like he's your it's guy so i'm gonna kill him too like um i also don't think ian could tolerate riley for very long no <laughs> he'd be like you're fired as one of my henchmen you are too annoying <laughs> please be quiet <laughs> um um Oh, was the other thing? Oh, that when they finally get into the room and Ben lights, the, you know, lights the, um, what do we call that? The uh, big running the, fire. Yeah, pit. the trench of oil that gets lit. So they see it's like a huge room of treasure. Um, there's a moment where r there's like tears in Riley's eyes, and um, Abigail's <laughs> like, "Riley, are you crying?" And he goes, "There are stairs," and like because the, he was. Con convinced they were never going to get out they were going to die down there and he's just like that's so funny that's <laughs> he's just it's like... perfect like kudos to um i know john uh john uh turtle top directed it and then uh cormac weberly marianne weberly and and jim Koof wrote it and just mm -hmm. some of their like it's the the performers too but like their jokes and like the delivery that's a great moment when yeah before or while the heist is going on basically when <laughs> when ben you know steals into the party in his tux and and ends up talking to abby and i don't know the random dude with her um yeah and they do a toast to... i'm mm -hmm. like he's, he's somebody uh and 
they had the champagne glasses and talk about doing a toast and like Ben describes like about like we're toasting to high treason like because that's what they were doing when they signed the declaration and how he ends it like I'm reading from this now because I have to get it right um that he's like he's like had we lost the war they would have been hanged beheaded drawn and quartered and my personal favorite had their entrails cut out and burned but the way Nick Cage yeah delivers burns like just that lone word like deserves an award it's so beautiful i mean famously uh in the awful movie the wicker man uh nicholas cage has a ton of crazy dialogue like that but he does say how to get burned how to get burned how to... he does say the word <laughs> burned does. outstandingly amazing he's just that's what he's perfected over the years of, yeah. of his crafts saying burned really like please put burned in the script somewhere <laughs> um um oh shoot i was gonna uh, bu- 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 we'll get back oh speaking of nick there were there were moments throughout that that is one of them where i will go that's just a line you know like it's a kind of a throwaway funny line but nicholas cage would deliver it in a way that no other actor would deliver it and that's what makes it interesting like i used to think that about back to doctor who for a minute like matt smith used to do that where I would go, I can see the way that that was written on the page and how just somebody would, any other actor would say it, but then Matt Smith would say it and you'd go, boy, that makes it like, why would you think to say it that way? Like that kind of thing. And and Nicolas Cage has that aspect in this a lot. And I think he does in a lot of the movies where he's supposed to be like, quote unquote, the normal one. Um, he still kind of adds that weird thing to it i guess i mean um i guess jeff goldblum does the same thing anybody who's kind of like eccentric in their acting yes. style yeah um i was recently somebody posted the um you know you know how on instagram there will just be like clips of stuff and you're like why did you post this but that scene from the first jurassic park when he's like um uh you stood on the shoulders of john you know all that stuff when he's kind of yelling yes. at john hammond um he says uh you didn't make the discovery, so you can't take responsibility for it. Like it's like he ran yes. out of breath and then realized that the line wasn't over. But he makes it work it, so that, well. Yeah, and and Nicholas Cage has that throughout this movie, where everything he says, you're just like, huh, okay, sure. It's like definitely one of the aspects that keeps me coming back over and over and over. <laughs> God knows how many times. Just, <laughs> it's just a have... delightful. Do, it doesn't have to be Nicolas Cage related, but do you have favorite kind of moments? Um, you, as you've seen this a million times, do you have favorite moments or beats or discoveries throughout the movie? Um, uh, yes, all of it. Great. Um, now, one of my favorite discoveries throughout it is I, Har- um, Harvey Keitel plays like the, I think, FBI, right? Agent yeah, who's FBI. like, like which organization? Uh, Sadusky, who's like, kind of gets a lot like after the heist you know you steal the declaration of independence you draw some attention so kind of starts pursuing him throughout but nick and they and they end up capturing ben at some point because ian arranged it and like they weren't also like (laughs) ben abby and riley not being like the most careful as they are probably not used to being on the run from (laughs) sure (laughs) federal law and I kind of like that by the end, like he came around to like, okay, like I get what you're doing. 
someone's got to go to jail though and yeah i i think as much as i don't like authority or, or you know <laughs> pleasant depictions of them i do like when someone is like okay i see what you're doing and i'll work with like i will work with you so let's put like the actual bad guy in jail yeah maybe i like that because it doesn't really happen in real life yeah <laughs> um those are all white dudes. They would have been fine. Nobody would have gone to jail somehow. <laughs> but yeah. Well, first of all, as we as we all know, ACAB. But yes. Um, I he's he he's a Mason also. So like yes, it's like we're in a secret society. So <laughs> we're, and it's we're not in like, on it. Yeah. Ah, boy, there's a whole there's a whole uh, <laughs> Pandora's box when you talk about the Freemasons, because on the one hand, it's just like. Oh, they're just, it's just a group. You know what I mean? But then there's so many weird conspiracy theories about the Freemasons throughout history um, that we don't have time to get into. And I also am not educated enough on the weird stuff that the Masons have done. But like, same, you know, people in the uh, Elks go to the Elks Lodge, whereas Masons go to the Masonic Temple. <laughs> it does have a different vibe to it. It super does. Um, and yeah, that's, I don't know. I, I don't know enough about it, but I do, I do really like that. And th that was all stuff that I had heard about, you know, like the money is the big thing. Like on, on the back of the $1 bill, there's the triangle or the triangle, Kyle, the pyramid, yeah. the eye and everything. And that's supposed to be it like a triangle. I mean, it is. Yeah. It's two dimensional. Um, but then all the stuff with uh, like the $100 bill in the back, that's how they know what time the, the, uh, sun is going to set or whatever. They didn't take into account continental drift. I sure didn't. So, Fools. I, yeah, I don't know how that would have worked, but. Um, uh, oh, I was telling you one of my favorite moments, but I didn't yes, realize. Okay. I, we, got, I, we got sidetracked. Oh, sorry. I mean, it happens. That's Isn't that the point of podcasting? I'm it pretty sure. Is. sure. Yeah. So, I love, love, love. By the time they, you know, they finally, or not they finally, they, they go see Abigail, uh, they being Ben and Riley, and try to pitch this, like, this is why we need to see, can we just, can we just look at this very important document, like the back of it? And, and she's yeah. like, eh. And they talk about it and start talking about, like, she's like, you should talk to the FBI. <laughs> and they're like, well, we did that. Then, the, like, Riley's like, that's where we lost the FBI after the treasure map part. And they explain a little more and and uh, i think when they're like it's you know when they say it's invisible and riley's like and that's where we lost the department of homeland security like i love picturing in my head the pair of them <laughs> tr trying to go to various offices to see like boring people in suits and being like no really and they're just like you're dumb <laughs> and, i mean dr chase dismisses them too but it just always amuses me like i love picturing that headcanon <laughs> yeah i i i like that that there because it cuts to the end like we don't see them going to all these things but we do see them coming out of the fbi building having been defeated by the fbi in that in that sense um but that's all you need to see is them just being like all right nobody believes us they did go through official channels and i think that is important to know yes <laughs> they didn't immediately like, go well i guess we have to steal the declaration of independence first like they've they're first like somebody's gonna steal this um yes i also, I I also like that ben too. doesn't want to like initially when when ian proposes it he's just like 
We're not stealing the Declaration of Independence. It's the Declaration of Independence. (laughs) Right? And it's not because like it's breaking the law. It's because this is a very important historical document. Like, no. I one of my on that token, I think my favorite moment in the whole thing, because there's throughout the movie, there's such reverence for history. Um and kind of the 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 pieces of history and how like um, they are to be treasured and kind of enjoyed by everybody. I like the fact that they take the declaration to Independence Hall in Philadelphia and they are standing in the room, which is, you know, off off the beaten track initially. That's what you think. So that they could look at the back of it with the glasses. And Ben takes a moment because they're in the Continental Congress like uh, meeting area. That's probably not what it's called. Um, and he goes, the last time this document was here was when it was being signed. And it's like, that is such a cool, like, that's something that would give me chills were it real. Do you know what I mean? I'd be like, oh my right. God. And because like, it's like n- history meeting a- itself again. Yeah. It's like hallowed ground, especially if you're a history like buff and like nerd like he is. Like, yeah. And at the same time, I don't know if it's in that scene, but like he was talking about history thing and Riley's like, yeah, we get it. The important person did the stuff and a thing happened. <laughs> Yeah. So like I like the counter of like Riley's like <laughs> yes that's cool but what if we just did the thing we need to do well the other thing is like when they when they finally get to the the treasure room and they're kind of just like looking at all this stuff and we find out at the beginning that it's like all the spoils of all these different cultures you know and stuff like that and um, Abigail goes these are the actual um whatever not Dead Sea Scrolls but something like that oh from Alexandria yeah yeah that's right the um and uh they're just kind of like looking at these important historical artifacts and riley just looks at a a a, a jade statue from uh egypt he's like a large bluish green guy with a weird (laughs) beard probably very important (laughs) and then just hugs it because it's like i don't know what this is but it's probably valuable and then you find out at the end of the movie that the entire uh, stock is worth 10 billion dollars it's worth so much. And uh, minor spoilers for National Treasure 2. When it kicks off, Riley mm-hmm. has made very bad choices about <laughs> the money he got from that. Like, of course. That tracks. Well, you look at the and, car he gets at the end. So they get like, exactly. w- what is 1%? Initially, they were going to give them 10%. And he, uh, they, Ben, of course, refused. And also wanted to disperse, which is, I think, good. I think I think it's like no one should have all of this. Let's split it up among different museums, um, which is, you know, good. Should probably give it back to the countries that you stole it from, but still. Yep, for example, yep. <laughs> but this was 2004. It was before people uh, thought about those things. Yeah. Um, and he buys a really big house, which is, that's a good thing to buy with your money. And then you just see that Riley bought this, like, expensive i think it's a ferrari and he doesn't know how to drive it it's great it's great that nonsense continues into the second movie and is very i just want to say it's really enjoyable like i recommend watching it i just mm-hmm. don't re-watch it as often as i as i do the first one mm-hmm. who's the bad guy in the second one it is uh ed harris oh actually. sure uh and he's you know doing that good like creepy ed harris thing so it's pretty solid He's, and, he's good at that for sure. Yeah, and and Ben like kidnaps the president at one point briefly to get information. Again, he's like, I don't want to kidnap the president, but if that's the only way I can talk to the president alone, because he's that, that's what I will do. Um, um, there's a secret book. It's very good. 
I just I'll have to I'll I'll watch it. I'll I'm interested enough to give it a look. I I don't really have any interest in watching the TV show though, which came no. out just a couple of years ago. But no, I tried it and it it was not my not my cup of tea. Um, the score for National Treasure was done by Trevor Rabin or Rabin. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. I was looking at some of his other stuff. He did all the action movies. <laughs> he did he did Con Air. He did Armageddon. Yeah. He did Enemy oh. of the State. My goodness. He did Deep Blue Sea. He did Gone in 60 Seconds. Remember the Titans. Um, uh, Kangaroo Jack, obviously. Um, Bad Boys 2. National Treasure. And then uh, Snakes on a Plane. Like he's done, he did a bunch in between. He did the second uh, National Treasure. Did Get Smart. Did Your Sorcerer's Apprentice. Like, so you, you have already named a bunch of movies that this guy did the music for. Yeah, can you? I forgot that Gone with sixty sec in sixty seconds was a movie until I was like, oh yeah, I remember. Also in Nick Cage, right? Also in Nick Cage, yeah. Not yeah. good. It isn't good. In case you're wondering, it's not good. I feel I don't remember if I've seen that one, and if if I haven't, that's okay. I will not be pursuing it. No, I think it was. Well, that was two thousand, uh, which I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it was at, before uh, the first Fast and Furious. Is that right? Darn it. Now I have to look that up. Seems like it probably is. I feel like that was around that time. The Fast and the Furious. 2001. Yeah. So it was before the Fast and Furious. And the Fast and Furious is just like so much better than Gone in 60 Seconds. I don't even think the first Fast and Furious movie is like that good. Um, (laughs) But. (laughs) But it's better than Gone in 60 Seconds. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the score, though, by the way, because I really like that's one I've, you know. I listen to sometimes. mm -hmm. uh, I love I love to listen to a movie score during the workday movie and TV scores uh, or while I'm writing like all the time. And that's that's a good one. It's not Pirates of the Caribbean good. No, but few things solid. are. It's true. Um, Klaus Badelt did the score to Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, a German composer, as you I might expect. I didn't realize. I don't know why I thought that was Hans Zimmer, but that's well, what I a, thought. Well, he's a collaborator of Hans Zimmer. He's basically Aha. Hans Zimmer and, and a bunch of the bigger composers uh, have taught apprentices how to basically ape their style. Do, right. So like, do me because I'm busy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, bum, bum, ba-da-dum, bum, ba-da-dum, bum, it's ba-da-dum. so it's just, good. It's great. It's great. I love I love big raucous scores like that. Um, big, you know, propulsive and kind of like full of horn sections. Um, and I don't, I, it's not like national treasure isn't like that, but that one, it, it felt a little bit more like modern, if that makes sense, which I guess yeah, it, it ought to have. Um, exactly. It's like more subtle. It's not quite as like, uh, it, it never, when, when I think of pirates, like that's one of the first things I think of because it like accompanies so many like big scenes and like, mm. I feel like a national Trevor treasure, like it's more the action and, and not as much the score that I No, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's and you but you still need like it's still such an important part of the movie. And like those those big sweeping action scenes wouldn't be as good if they weren't no. scored the, the right way. I'm o- no. I'm always like I go back and forth because sometimes like a John Williams score announces itself. I am a John Williams <laughs> score. Danny Elfman often, although he, he can yes. hide a bit uh, in the in the score as well. But um, and I, I come like, well, this is what you want for a Star Wars or an Indiana Jones. But like, 
um, is that good all the time for the score to be so, you know, Probably, front and center? Yes. Yeah. And no, it's not. No, I, I don't think so. Even if the music is excellent, but like, um, oh gosh. Well, as good as I think Michael Giacchino is, obviously he's amazing. Like, and as much as I like listening to the score for the Batman, I think it's a, a very good score to to drive around L.A. at night to. Um, it is all encompassing. <laughs> I guess you want that for a Batman, but like, um, it's just there. It's just constantly there. And I don't I don't know. Like, I go back and forth. Like, I love this movie, but also do I wish it, the score was just like a, a little, little bit back? Pull it back. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of that way for Doctor Strange, too, because he did the first Doctor mm. Strange film, which I really enjoy. Um, and uh, speaking of a sidetrack, uh, if you've ever listened to a Michael Giacchino score and you've just kind of listened and not paid attention to the track titles, <laughs> dude loves a pun and yeah. you will be endlessly entertained. So it's a homework assignment for anyone who's not noticed that. Yeah. The every, yeah, it's so funny. It's so good. Uh, it It makes... Yeah, just just basically go on whatever thing you listen to music on and and add all of them Peruse. to your library because they're really good. Yes. Um, his score. I mean, he also directed it, but his score to uh, Werewolf by Night, the Marvel short is also super good. Oh, yeah. I think about like I, that was me like cataloging through my brain. Like, yes, that was really good. <laughs> I need to rewatch <laughs> Werewolf by Night. Sp- complete tangent. I only watched it the one time and I really liked it, but I never watched it again. That was that's Same. actually a Marvel thing I would watch again. I meant to rewatch it during like Halloween season, which is mm-hmm. about when it came out last year and, yeah. and just didn't. So but it's like going to be in the like the Halloween cycle because it's my brand of like, this is like atmospheric and moody, but it does not scare me. Mm-hmm. So that is good. So it was really good. Yeah. 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 Good things. Um, do you have any um, final thoughts, I guess, about um, National Treasure and uh and I do kind of want to once after this part, I do want to kind of talk about the importance of giving yourself kind of comfort media. But um, do you have any final thoughts about National Treasure? Yes, my final thought is, is a wonderful film and everyone should give it a shot. If you like history, if you like adventure, like it just it just delivers. It's consistent all the way throughout. The pacing is strong. I never feel like it like lags at any point like they're doing that heist of the Nash uh, of the Declaration of Independence, like within the first like 30 minutes of the yeah. film, like they you just go right in. So I'm appreciative that you watched it for the first time <laughs> and that you come on and just ramble about my friends. They are so much. Uh, I have a really hard time when I write books, like naming characters, like not for like, but like just like regular names right and like contemporary stories so what i will do is i will take a film i like and just kind of make a pool of names that i pull from and i used a family of national treasure names in a book i'm working on right now and it makes me just like continuously happy that's great that's so well it's so much like i always uh not uh what's the word like uh i feel for people who have to create names out of whole cloth for like big giant epic fantasies or sci-fi stuff where they're just like uh Flurb Clerpston or something like that. It's like that can't be easy to do. And also you run the risk of them sounding dumb. Yes. Like that. That's always <laughs> like how many consonants, how many vowels and in what order? Yeah. And a lot of them, like I know you're a huge wheel of time fan and the, the names in that are like, 
almost real and also like um, a song of ice and fire did this too where it's like mostly real names but and an um, apostrophe and an apostrophe right but like rand i guess that's a somebody could be named although it's there's somebody named rand he's a surname yeah uh anyway um yeah thanks for picking it i was really stoked i was um Stuff like that makes me excited when when you were like so emphatically like I love National Treasure I'd love to talk about it and I was like great let's do it um, I was never like that concerned that I wasn't gonna like it or anything like that because I I like movies like that even if it's silly like but the silliness is part of the fun yes. um, and kind of just the spectacle of it and the Nicolas Cage of it also it's twenty years old like <laughs> which give is a, give it a break wild yeah um. But yeah, so like um, comfort media is something that, especially in the last few years, um, is just, you know, we both and and kind of Nerdist as a whole kind of really values that for our own mental health and also the mental health of our listeners and readers and viewers and everything like that. So um, yeah, what is what is comfort? What does it mean to you, comfort viewing? And also like, what do you look for in a comfort view? Yeah, because so sometimes it's... It's a thing I've seen 5,000 times and I'm like, I really enjoyed it the first time and I just go back because I know what's going to happen. There are no surprises. That's part of it for me is it's, I don't want to be caught off guard with something sad or scary, or I just want to sit in a cozy blanket of a story. So the best way is like, I've watched something once I, I watched Return of the Jedi again. Like I know what happens. It makes me feel good. Like I mm-hmm. still react to it. That's important for me too. Like it's something that I am comforted by, but I still like I still want to watch it. It's not like I'm just putting this on while I do emails. Like I am and I'm still amused. I am still delighted. And if it's not something I've watched, like I pick things like I recently watched Howl's Moving Castle. Mm. It wasn't for the first time, but I'd only seen it once before years ago and did not remember it. So it kind of like was the first time and I had recently read the book. And like, what a delightful story that is like, and I feel like, you know, you kind of come to know things as like Ghibli actually does have some things that will get you. So I don't oh, think I would sure. call Princess Mononoke a comfort movie. No. <laughs> um, but it's it's kind of, I don't want to be like, it's just vibes, but it is just something I'm like, that's gentle and soothing. And that's mm-hmm. really important. And I enjoy other kinds of stories, but sometimes I just want to like, okay, here I am. And I feel that way even about strange new worlds even though things do happen and i frequently like cry or like but it's just it feels good yeah Uh, somehow heartbreak feels good in a place like this um (laughs) uh yeah i I completely agree about strange new worlds like i get that vibe so much like it, it it is it is perilous and things are not happy all the time um r.i.p our 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 good friend (laughs) uh hammer um Hmm. but um it just it gives me the the vibes uh, for sure and ghibli i think is an excellent like uh hell's moving castle any of those miyazaki makes a lot of hangout movies like or or just kind of like yes let's sit around i mean there's not a ton of like villains like i know that there's like some peril in hell's moving castle but like for me and there's like air pirates one of my favorite ones is porco rosso which is um oh i haven't seen that one it's i love it so much it's it's a strange story about a pilot who through some magic has been turned into a pig sure and that's not really anything to do with the story like he's just (laughs) a pig all right and he flies and he doesn't want to join the 
fascists uh, post World War One, and it's like in Italy, and it's gorgeous, and like he flies around in this cool plane, and you know shoots down air pirates and stuff like that, and it's just like it's such a fun and just like pleasant movie, and like Kiki's delivery service and um. To a lesser, well, like my neighbor Totoro is really cute and and kind of like, I won't say plotless, but very much just about like moods and stuff like that. But that is that has a definite melancholy to it. Yes, um, kind of the same with um, Spirited Away. I think is like a lot of fun, but also it's it's dark to a point where it's like I don't I don't know how pleasant yeah. it is. Mononoke was made when Miyazaki was at his angriest, so that is definitely not. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> he was like, um. That's his like environmentalist. I mean, all of his movies are kind of pro environmentalism, but he was like so upset about just uh, the the wholesale destruction of of nature that he was yeah. like, let's make a whole movie about it. And it's great, but it's it's also like it's rough. not subtle. Yeah. It's not subtle. No, <laughs> um, but those ones for me for sure. There's also there's this French filmmaker. He was a a mime like performance artist who then started making films and he's in all of them. His name is Jacques Tati. Um, and he only made like five or six movies, but, and they're, they're just like quiet and funny. And like, I just want to live in those worlds. Like there's a movie he did called, um, well, he, he played this recurring character named Monsieur Hulot, who is like just a, just a nice kind of evuncular guy who gets in these weird, I won't even say scrapes, but like just like silly situations. Um, but and so there's the movie Monsieur Hulot's Holidays, where he like goes and you know he's on a beach resort or whatever, and it's just like silly stuff happens. But then there's his uh, big movie is um, well Mon Uncle, which is about he literally goes and stays with his like brother in their like weird um, uh, modernist or like you know super high-tech house and he's just is like this is this is not for me and it's like it's just this older guy kind of like falling apart <laughs> and then playtime is the best one where it's like it's just him walking around a super technical like high-tech like paris of the future or whatever um and stuff falls apart it's they're so fun and they're so just kind of like places you want to live in and those were ones weirdly and also weirdly enough alfred hitchcock movies those are also like comfort oh. viewings for me even though they're okay about murder but like they're very warm they're cozy they're cozy murder they're cozy mis- okay yeah i get that yeah um for some reason like just the colors and everything just even not all of them like vertigo and psycho were not particularly cozy movies <laughs> but like some of the other ones like um like north by northwest is one of my favorites because that's much more of an adventure kind of spy thriller but um yeah do, do you find like i know there's a lot there's an argument that um too much comfort anything just kind of dulls you for the horrors of the world um i don't subscribe to that but like you know what do you think about that argument that it's like we should know we should be hardened like a crab apple <laughs> i think that is total bull just pretend you're beeping here i'm not gonna say it but okay because as someone who reads, you know, especially in the books I read, I read a lot of romance. And one of the tropes and one of the one of the things about romance novels is there is always a happily ever after or mm. a happy for now. Like that's how it ends. That is part of the genre of romance novels. And is that how the real world is? No. That's why I want to read my book where it's happy for now. Like yeah. I think we're exposed to the horrors of the world just by living in it. 
So if we can escape from it, if we can give our place, uh, uh, give ourselves a place to let go, to relax, to find a world we want to live in, I think that's really important for mental health and not something because sometimes people dismiss it as trivial to like, oh, right. you're just watching like fluff, like whatever it is like that makes, you know, that you like, no, this brings me a lot of joy. So you can know, um, let's not do that to people. So I think that. I think our comfort things, whatever they are, and, and media are are valuable to keep going in this world that we we constantly deal with it just by living in it. So, mm-hmm. well said. I completely agree. You need it because too much news is bad for you. You have to take mental breaks, and if you want to watch a movie for the three thousandth time to do it, do it. Do it. Do it. Doom scrolling is not going to do no positive things for you. So no, no. Uh, so that's that's your takeaway. Like we don't n- normally have morals at the end of these episodes, but I do want to say, <laughs> <Today>. like, <laughs> you know, with the w- the world the way it is and has been for years now. Um, everybody at home, please, uh, or in your car. I don't know where you're listening to this. I don't know your life. Um, but take moments when where you can take them to um, give yourself a break watch watch fun stuff let us know um send us a, a feedback laserfocus at nerdist.com tell us your favorite um comfort watch be it a tv show or a movie um because i think that's you know it's it's important for everything um is do you get comfort out of watching new stuff like strange new worlds like or does is your comfort dependent on you having seen it a million times uh, i tend not to rewatch things all that often um, just cause I'm always trying to watch stuff I haven't seen before, but, um, there's comfort to be found in that too. If it's a, if it's escapism. So anyway, uh, Amy, thank you so much for being on the show as per. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. How can people find you and your work on the internet? Should you wish to be found? Uh, <laughs> I love that caveat. Folks can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy underscore geek. And I have a newsletter, <laughs> a newsletter is what that's called about my, writing and books and, and that jazz uh, at amyratcliffe.substack.com fantastic i uh am not on twitter famously i don't know if that's famous um <laughs> wisely Insta- that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> i'm on instagram at kyle uh no functional underscore nerd you can follow me on letterbox speaking of things that i watch all the time at uh, kyle underscore anderson uh, i've recently been watching a lot of italian westerns i watch a ton of them anyway but like ones that i hadn't seen before um, so you can read my thoughts on those. I also went to Fantasia Fest, so you can read my little potted reviews of some of those. You can also read my full length reviews of movies like The Last Voyage of the Demeter or uh, Haunted Mansion or some of the other things I reviewed recently and the aforementioned Fantasia Fest stuff at Nerdist.com. Uh, so until next week, I've been Kyle Anderson and join me again for Laser Focus when my guest will be a different person. Bye bye. Laser Focus is a production of Nerdist Industries and Legendary Digital Networks. It was produced, edited, and hosted by me, Kyle Anderson. For more, visit Nerdist.com. Nerdist.com